I thought we were on the right track. So I'm not going to lie to you. I thought we were on the right track. And, and one of the key messages when I took over was a, a little bit around stability. And, and I hear them talking about those words now. And I wish they had been talking about it when they were uh, giving me the butt. Uh, <laughs> I would have I loved to have stayed. But, um, look, it's a challenging. I think uh, I look at the playing group and uh, they've got a lot of talent on that field. And I think if they can just get things to work well and, and you've got Brian Cook in charge now, if they can get that stability, get, get that uh, understanding of what a really good football club is, and, and listen to the right people and get the right people in place, then they'll be a, a very good footy side. They've got so much talent in that list. Former Carlton coach David T talks about stability in inverted commas at Carlton. And of course, we've heard about a board member uh, going his own way after the weekend. Someone who goes his own way and writes really good stuff for Code Sports is Daniel Cherney, and Daniel is a regular on our show on Mondays. Talks about matters on the East Coast and give us gives he gives us his thoughts on the state of play over there. Daniel, welcome to the show. Good morning, guys. So news that Craig Matheson is stepping away from the Carlton board and of a, a heated exchange between he and President Luke Sayers. At the weekend, when we know the history at Carlton, it's um, unfortunately not that surprising. No, Duff, it is all very Carlton-esque. Uh, this story uh, first uh, first flagged last night uh, in the Herald Sun in, in his tackle column by Mark Robinson, and then there have been subsequent reports this morning. I think Tom Brown first ran with uh, the altercation in the rooms following the game between Carlton and, and Sydney. Uh, and the Blues putting out a statement not long after that, indeed, Craig Matheson had resigned, been on the board for uh, the best part of a decade or so. Uh, he uh, is obviously the nephew of Bob Powerbroker uh, Bruce Matheson, long time the Pokies King of these. I think you have to, a bit like triple Brownlee medalist Bob Skilton, you have to call, <laughs> Bruce, you have to call Bruce Matheson. <laughs> you have to call Bruce Matheson the Pokies King, I think, um, by default, but he. Uh, has been a big benefactor to the club. Uh, how much influence he still has is uh, debatable. He does still have business ties with the club and, and has pumped a lot of money in. He was outspoken a couple of weeks ago, had a massive crack at the board, uh, the football department, um, well, pretty much everyone down to the property steward about the way things have been handled, um, the, the fact that they missed out on Ross Lyon. Uh, I believe Craig Matheson had been one of those who'd been pushing for Ross Lyon appointments. Uh, obviously, that was a very contentious matter at the end of 2021 when David Teague, I, I was, you know, I, I think that's the first time David Teague has spoken at all publicly about Carlton. Uh, that, and, you know, it's pretty much, well, how, how long are we since his sacking? We're probably close to, close enough to two years or at least just 21 or so months. Yeah. Um, remarkable it took that long. Uh, and, um, you know, I know that wasn't a particularly expansive um, interview, but uh, still really interesting to hear his thoughts uh, seeping out and, and very timely now that he's a Richmond assistant coach. Um, but, yeah, back to, to that period and Ross Lyon, when he was available, obviously the incident with the staffer at Fremantle, um, the, the connection, the potential issues with Carlton's uh, Carlton Respect program, potential conflict there had, uh, had muddied the waters and there was a push on the board to bring him in, but um, ultimately that, was, uh, that didn't happen. There was talk of a process. He didn't want to go through that process. Then we know the rest of history. He's clearly coaching St Kilda now, and, and the Blues went with Michael Voss, who's... Uh, Really under the pump. It's been just a shocking six or seven weeks for Carlton. Uh, to be fair, it's not like they're being regularly thrashed, but they are just playing some um, grueling footy to watch. They clearly can't score um, with any regularity. 
the inefficiency in front of goal is a, is a massive issue. Harry Mackay's goal kicking is just it's just horrible to watch. It's, it's painful at this point. Uh, and the Blues, you know, they sit 13th on the ladder. It's, it's extraordinary to think for a club that entered this season um, being spoken about in, you know, certainly in, in top eight calculations, having just missed out last year. They were nine and three uh, last year, ten and four, and then it all fell apart and uh, haven't really been able to uh, to right the ship and, and things going badly off field as well with Craig Matheson's re- resignation. They just look clunky, don't they, on the field? And um, and I, I love you summing them up, I think, um, a couple of times on this show where you say they are less than the sum of their parts, which is always not a great thing to say about the coach. Uh, I it looked to me like they fixed a few things against the Swans, but they just couldn't convert. And um, and uh, Matthew Richardson's famous little man on the shoulder is definitely sitting on mm. Harry Mackay's shoulder now when he when he lines up to kick a goal. Yeah, I think that's, that's a great description uh, from Richo, and I think it very much does uh, does fit the bill with Harry Mackay at the moment. Um, it, it's funny on paper he's kicked fourteen sixteen for the season, which is poor, but that doesn't take into account. I believe it's a le- I, I heard the stat. 11 missed altogether, and there was that one horrible one that he missed by about 30 metres on, uh, on Friday night. Uh, you know, the Blues kicked 6-15. I mean, clearly they've struggled to find other avenues to goal other than him and Charlie Kerno generally. You know, Matt O'Hoyes has been handy. Um, Jesse Motlov has been OK, but uh, they, they don't get many goals out of their midfield. Um, there's just not nearly enough of the spread, so you really are heavily reliant on those two. And if you're not taking your chances... Well, it makes it extremely difficult. I thought the ball movement into the 50 was mixed the other night. You know, there was some bombing. There was some, uh, some of the targets were, were, you know, were clearly not hit. And then the kicking for goal was poor. I think they had seven more inside 50s. But, you know, the, the contest game was, was um, reasonably strong. I thought some of their rebound from defence was, was all right. But they thought Jacob Wiedering, while he, he has butchered it a bit this year, he was actually pretty good, I thought, the other night. But... Uh, they were they were dominated in the end by Nick Blakey. He, he was the best appeal for mine. Um, from what I saw of that game, uh, he's intercepting his rebound out of defence, just cut Carlton up, and, and the Blues um, just couldn't get as much the other way. And, and but ultimately, you know, when you really look at that game and, and where it was won and lost, six fifteen uh, tells tells the tale. Yep, absolutely. Um, Port Adelaide, how serious a contender do you regard them as, Daniel? Look, I think any side that sits nine and two um, through eleven rounds and has beaten um, some of the, the top sides around the competition—they've beaten Brisbane Lions, they've beaten Melbourne. I know they were thrashed by Collingwood. They've beaten the Western Bulldogs, uh, who have been going pretty well. Uh, and then they've come and won one on the MCG against, albeit a um, an undermanned Richmond. But, but the water undermanned themselves. I think that's probably flown a bit under the radar. Probably not in South Australia, but maybe in Victoria and, and WA. Uh, because there have been much bigger issues at hand. But, um, you know, Paul have done this without a few weeks now without Todd Marshall and Charlie Dixon. Um, and, and Travis Spokes been missing as well. Um, you know, they've had a, a, a instability in the ruck. Scott Lysett's back in the side now and, and what was pretty solid yesterday against Toby Nankervis, which, which helps their cause and it probably um, alleviates one potential weakness in, the, in their side. But they've just found some unheralded players, guys like Dylan Williams... Um, who, you know, is pretty much on the scrap heap at the end of last year, was put on the rookie list, but it's turned into a really nice rebounding halfback flanker. I think Kane Farrell, who's been a real fringe player probably for five or six years now, uh, it's one of those guys that you're sort of not quite sure if he's ever going to amount to too much. He's having a really solid year. Um, but then there's the star quality up the top of the list. You know, Lear Lear was outstanding yesterday. He's been such a great pickup since he 
came to the club all, all Australian, I think, in his first year in 2021 uh, at the Power. Uh, and then Zach Butters, who was probably a, a little bit, um, probably wasn't quite as influential as he was the previous week, albeit he set a very high standard the previous week against Melbourne. Um, Connor Rosie you know, is, is coming, is, you know, is having a really good year too. Um, and Jason Horn Francis, um, albeit probably still just in birth, um, is, is being a is having a really big influence. It just means someone like Ollie Wines just sort of floats under the radar, just does his job. You know, he's Brownlee medalist two years ago, and um, yeah, no one really talks about him anymore. Remarkably, he's just he's sort of the forgotten man of the Port Adelaide midfield, but pretty good player to have as your uh, your sort of third or fourth string midfielder. Um, you know, Willem Drew does those defensive roles in there, and um, now they've got a lot of nice pieces. They've got players to come back. Um, you know, they've only really put in one absolute stinker, which was against Collingwood. I think their loss to Adelaide in hindsight doesn't isn't as bad. Um, they really only had played one poor quarter there. Um, they've won a few close ones, as Ken Hinkley acknowledged, so you know, maybe they've had a bit of luck on that front. But uh, I think any side that's 9-2 and two is making a very, very good case to be a top-four team, clearly. And I think once you get to the top four, um, it's a cliche, but uh, in this era, the competition is even enough that they can, uh, they can push all the way. I, I don't think they will, but I think they're, they're in the mix. Yeah, there are others more likely, but you'd certainly think they are in the mix. And uh, I tell you what, if I was Ken Hinckley, I wouldn't be going anywhere. I would like a midfield that's got Butters, Rosie and Horn Francis in it over the next three or four years. That's going to be very handy. There's a few other problems for them to solve. Um, they'd probably like another tall defender to support Alir Alir, and they, they're obviously going to have to move past Charlie Dixon at some stage, but there's a lot of good pieces to the puzzle already there. Matty Rowell had 16 clearances on the weekend, Daniel. And he was playing against Marcus Bontempelli. Is uh, is this the year where we will finally see Gold Coast, and whether they play finals or not, will we finally see them take a significant and measurable step forward? Do you think? Oh look, I, I think I'm a Gold Coast skeptic until proven otherwise. Otherwise, I'm probably a bit the same with with Brisbane, as I've touched on a few times on the show. And I, and I know that's harsh, but just because it's Gold Coast and because they have had these moments and had some stirring wins over the years and you think, oh, is this going to be the, the year they, you know, they, they turn the corner? Is this, is this the win that they had to have to, to get them on the right track for good? And then they go out and lose the next week or a couple of weeks later and, and things, things fall away. Don't get me wrong, stirring win. I, I think actually one thing that's quite um, a bit under the radar, they've developed a really nice home ground advantage in Darwin. Um, that, is, that looks like it's going to be a really good home away from home for them. Um, it's, it's such a, it is a unique venue. Conditions clearly slippery. You know, we see players with the with the sweatbands. It suits their contested style of play. I mean, they are a very good contested side. Have been for quite a while. As Stuart Jew has built his game around that. Um, it suits someone like Matt Rowell, uh, who, who is, um, you know, had had stagnated and struggled with injury since that, that breakout first month he had way back in 2020, uh, just just after the uh, COVID hiatus in, in the middle of that year. Um, but so, look, they're knocking on the door of the eight, um, but we've seen this before. And I just, and you know, the Bulldogs are a good scalp, but I just want to see it for a few more weeks. I, I just, not quite, that they've lost enough games that they should have won, and they've put in a couple of stinkers already this year that I just can't quite trust them yet. I, look, like they could turn, you know, I think they are in the finals mix. It was such a seismic round in the AFL in terms of upsets that it, it has, um, it really has, you know, thrown the cat amongst the pigeons, and, and there are suddenly. Yeah, you know, a lot of sides fighting for um, fighting for top eight spots, and, and you know suddenly you cast doubts over a team like Geelong and whether they'll even be able to make it, which is remarkable to say. But yeah, don't quite trust the Suns yet. Um, 
albeit a very good win. It's going to be my next question, the Cats. How worried are you about them? Yeah, I'm worried. Look, I think... You look at their season, what a strange season it's been. I mean, three losses and five straight wins and three more losses. Um, I think this is always the issue when you have that, had that slow start. It was like, look, you have to have time to turn it around. I know that there's the extra round in the season and they're always going to have that big bunch of home games um, post-round six or so when they return to the Cattery. But it just didn't leave much margin for error, those early defeats. Um, and now they've lost three in a row. And you know, with those injuries they've had, they've been really costly. They've clearly badly missed Patrick Dangerfield. I think we saw that at the, at the start of the year. Their, their midfield is just not the same um, without... I know they probably had parts of this last year generally. I mean, Dangerfield was up and down even last year and in and out of the sides through injury uh, and then obviously turned it on with just a magnificent final series where he was back to sort of pure superstar level. But if Joel Selwood out, I think we probably under, underestimated how important he was to, the, to their side. Um, they've had other injuries at various stages. Cam Crafter's missed some footy. Um, you know, Tom Atkins, I think, has been found out a bit. His limitations, you know, he's done incredibly well to, to have the career he's had. But at the end of the day, this is a guy who was really a, a role a role player uh, who stepped up from um, as a mature age rookie. Uh, Brandon Parfitt has just not come on at all. I mean, he, more to the point, he, he's plateaued, stagnated, you know, probably gone backwards. And um, his career has really reached an interesting crossroads. Um, and just they've, they've been so unsettled, and they just you know, they just look a bit over the hill at this, at this point. I'm just not sure it's all going to come together. From from five and six, it's a long, it's very hard to win a flag from five and six. That's not to say they can't make the finals, but they clearly still can, and, uh, and and they could turn it round. But they're just going to need so much to go right from this point, and to lose to the Giants, who have been weirdly enough a bogey team of theirs down at that venue at uh, at GMHBA. Um, yeah, I, I think you. I, Look, I'm very reluctant to write a line through Geelong altogether, but uh, we're getting pretty close to that point. Yeah, I've drawn so many lines through them and had to rub them out, mate. I'm uh, I'm, I'm going to sit on the fence on that one for a while, but I certainly see some things that I think would be worrying. Are you worried about the Saints um, beaten by the Hawks on the weekend or are the Hawks starting to improve significantly? I think the answer there is a bit of both. I think the Hawks have had... Same with Hawthorne, the perception of them at the start of the year, they had those shockers in round one and two against Essendon and Sydney, and people think, oh, you know, <laughs> the perennial, are they the worst in Fitzroy? Are they going to be a blight on the competition? You know, especially with the aggressive trading out they'd done at the end of last year and the rebuild. And I think it's sort of um, compounded or uh, there's, there's a tendency to um, conflate the off-field issues that they've had, which are obviously still substantial and... Um, somewhat culminating in the departure of Justin Reeves last week, the CEO. But their form line since round three has been pretty good. Um, they've won three games, but they've lost a couple of others pretty narrowly. They've had a couple of quarters and halves here and there that have been shockers. You know, I think one goal to halftime against Melbourne in round uh, eight or nine or whatever it was. Um, and a couple of other, you know, Geelong, they've clearly faded out badly on Easter Monday. But they've been pretty competitive for the most part. Um, you know, certainly significantly better than and West Coast and, and probably North Melbourne for most of that period, and have probably not been that far off say, a team like, say, uh, the Giants, that, that level of quality. Um, so they're playing well. Their midfield is um, their midfield's really quietly good. You know, Connor Nash has been just a revelation this year. He's, um, you know, all the time they invested into him, he's probably been outperforming someone like a Jagger Amira last year, or even how he's going at Frio this year. Uh, Will Day's tipped on nicely. John Newcomb's held his own as he did last year, and um, and then up, you know, down back, James Sicily 
was just brilliant. And Mitch Lewis obviously makes a very big difference when he's back. Um, but by the same token, the Saints just are not intercepting nearly as well as they were early in the year. They're, they're coughing up. You know, not certainly wasn't a massive score against Hawthorne. It was at 12-16, but um, it probably could have been a bit worse given the Hawks kicking for goal. And the Saints really have, um, haven't hit particularly great heights probably since that, that early, um, early in that Friday night game against Port Adelaide in round seven. They, they hit the ground running that night and looked like they were going to run all over the top of Port given how strong the Saints running game had been to that point. But then Port obviously steadied and measured and, and uh, took that game. And then the last month for the Saints has been you know, very up and down. I think it's win-loss, win-loss. Um, you know, beating North Melbourne in a very scratchy game, scrappy game at Marvel Stadium losing to the Crows badly in Adelaide. And I think Ross Lyon, that was the one he dubbed a mulligan. And you would have taken that as a mulligan if they turned it around quickly, but they haven't. They were OK against the Giants, just got the win, you know, did what they had to do. But then they had to beat Hawthorne. Um, you know, if you're a serious side, you're not losing to Hawthorne. And I think it probably shows that they're not, um, you know, early days we thought, oh, maybe they are a top four smoky here. And, you know, maybe they could really cause some havoc. But I think now... Um, their, their best case scenario this year is um, the, the lower re- reaches of the top eight. And uh, seven and four, um, it's not a guarantee that they'll, they'll get there because there's a, there's a lot of, you know, when you've got the likes of Geelong and Fremantle um, pushing to, to take those spots, then um, it's going to be a, a nervous run home for the Saints. Of course, your other uh, great responsibility at Code Sports is writing about cricket. We've got the Test Cricket Championship coming up in England in uh, a week or so. How big an event is this? I mean, it's the first one we've been in. Um, are you excited about it, or is it? Uh, do you prefer a, a Test series like um, like old timers like I do? <laughs> it's a really good question, and I, I'm fascinated to see how it sort of cuts through with the. Um, you know, how it uh, enters the imagination of the Australian public, if, if at all. Um, it's probably not an event that I think many Aussie fans or sort of the average Aussie sporting fan has given much thought to. Obviously, it's a very new phenomenon. It only happened for the first time a couple of years ago, the final. Australia narrowly missing out on the back of um, some overrate issues, uh, New Zealand beating India. Um, but I think when it's on, it's in prime time back here in Australia and um, they're playing India. I, I think it will, it will mean something. Uh, unfortunately, I think the timing of it hurts in the sense that it's before an Ashes series. I think if, if Australia had actually qualified two years ago in a year in which they hadn't played much Test cricket um, and didn't have an Ashes series on the back of it, then it wouldn't feel like a curtain raiser. It wouldn't feel like a warm-up. And given that Australia does, literally does not have a tour match uh, in England, um, it, it is in some respect serving as a, as a tour match. Oh, I think it should be much more than that. You know, it is a world, effectively the World Cup of Test cricket. Um, and, you know, I think Australian cricket supporters over the years have taken to value the uh, the one-day World Cup for sure. That's probably to a lesser extent the T20 World Cup, which didn't quite cut through as, as it would have hoped uh, with, with Australian crowds at least late last year. But uh, yeah, it, it's a good question. I think it should be valued more. I think it's the kind of thing that will be valued more in hindsight um, and, and probably you know it needs that tradition to build and obviously traditions can't build overnight. I mean, it's been a long time coming. People have been talking about a uh, World Test Championship decades. Um, unfortunately, it's not a sport that lends itself naturally to a tournament-style event. So, and this is probably the closest you can get. And it's got its flaws with the schedule and not everyone playing each other once. And it's it's, it's far from ideal. But it's probably the best we're going to get in the circumstances. And, and I think it's a it's a really big occasion. Um, it's funny at the start of the year, Australia had the Border Gavaskar series in India, uh, the World Test Championship final, an Ashes, and a uh, an ODI World Cup in India. 
all the calm. And I, I sort of I wrote that if, if Australia could, you know, win, well, certainly if they won all four, or even if they won three of the four, you know, they would they would ensure themselves as, as an all-time great Australian side. Clearly, they haven't done the first one, although they were pretty competitive after um, after some poor moments in the second test. Uh, but if they can win this and the Ashes, the big ifs and the World Cup, um, I think in as a collective, it, it'll really um, it'll really uh, stand out for the best they've achieved. Daniel, always appreciate your thoughts. Love what you say on air and love what you write uh, on Code Sports as well. Thanks for joining us on the show. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Watch it off. Dan Cherney from Code Sports, always love having you on the show uh, on a Monday to get his take on the weekend's results coming out of the AFL. We'll take a break and we'll be back with more of the show after the break. If you want to get a late text in today, the temperate bedshed text line is still open, 0487 736 736.